This morning, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to pick up in verse 4. And as I shared with you in the introduction to this particular letter, and uh, really to both letters to the church at Corinth, though the second letter is a little different in substance, uh, the first letter is throughout the entire letter, the problems in the Corinthian church are, are the background, if you will, of the letter to the church at Corinth. Uh, it was a church that was, to a large degree, actually healthy, but within that healthy church there were problems. And that is really true in almost every church. There are things that go on, and I don't care what church it is, you know, I'm still an assisting pastor at one of the largest churches in the world, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, but I can tell you there are problems at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. Just because they're, they're big numbers don't mean that there are no problems because ministry would be really easy if it didn't involve people. And, and because it involves people, and because it's made up of people who are individuals, and God uses individuals, we're always trying to blend, if you will, the various things that people think and understand and how they know them and their life experience and all kinds of things uh, into a local body. And so Paul writes this letter to a, a troubled church, a church that uh, had, its, had its issues. And I want you to notice the tactic with which he begins now to lay out this letter. Because he begins by thankfulness towards them. And so this morning, uh, thankfulness and harmony. Uh, no matter how messed up things get, they're never so messed up God can't fix them. Amen? It's just a matter of whether the body, whether we, us as individuals, are going to hear from the Lord and allow God to do what God wants to do. And if we will keep that in view, then God can fix anything. He, he can heal, He can rebuild, He can restore, He can refresh between individuals, between uh, larger church bodies, between the church in general, the church in the world, and so I pray that as we begin now our journey through this amazing book, having the introduction last time we were together, now thankfulness and harmony. So would you pray with me as we seek the face of the Lord. Lord God, we, we just come this morning, and Lord, it's interesting how these letters written 2,000 years ago are so pertinent for today. And Lord, it seems as though as we read the newspapers and we look at the headlines that once again the church is often divided. Lord, that people who are saved by grace are arguing and haggling with one another and threatening one another and causing division amongst your people, Lord. And there is really just one church, and it's your church. There's one body, there's one faith, one Lord, one hope, and one baptism as your word declares. And so we pray this morning, God, as we open your word, that you'd encourage us, speak to us, help us to be uh, the, the members of the body that you've called us to be. Help us to be strong in our own personal walks with you. Uh, encourage us, we pray. We ask these things in the blessed, the mighty, the amazing name of Jesus. Amen. Verse 4 here in 1 Corinthians 1. For I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Family of God, there is always a reason to be thankful for people in the body of Christ. Sometimes I can tell you as a pastor, I can forget this verse. 
And I, and I want you to personalize this verse for you. Can you say about that person who's maybe given you a few headaches, maybe caused you a few issues, maybe in your life has not exactly you know brought pleasant things to you, can you say that because of who they are in Christ that you're thankful for them? You should be able to do that, even if they have brought you problems. This church is a problematic church. They brought Paul some issues that were tough to deal with. Those things that were going on were not good things, but yet he still finds in the opening of this letter a reason to say, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which is given to you by Christ Jesus. Thank God that we're children of grace is really what he's saying. He's saying, you know, in that we all have a common bond. And I want to draw your attention to really what he's trying to say here. Every church is different. Every church is supposed to be different. Otherwise, there's no reason for it to exist. If every church was a carbon copy of each other, there'd be no reason for there to be anything other than one church in one place. And we all go into like a giant stadium that seats four and a half billion people and we all gather together and we worship together. There is a reason for the diversity of the body of Christ and the individual characters and natures of churches. It is not a bad thing that there are Baptists and Methodists and Episcopalians and Calvary chapels and independent churches and community churches. It is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It is that the body of Christ is supposed to be made up of component parts, but those component parts are bound together by the grace of God. And so there is both unity and diversity from God's position. They exist not mutually exclusive, but mutually cooperative. There are people that will get reached in a setting to where everyone's in suits, that they'd come in here this morning and see a couple of you in Sorrells and go, what is this? There are people who love liturgy. They want to have the pastor stand up and speak in Latin, and it just makes them draw near to the Lord. There is nothing wrong with that. It does not make the body of Christ divided. What makes the body of Christ divided is drawing attention to those differences in a negative way and say, well, this church does this, and so they're better. That's the problem. The same thing we're going to see is drawn attention to in a personal way because you can do the same thing with pastors. We have kind of a goofy thing that we say in Calvary Chapel's pastors' conferences because this we're going to see it here in just a little bit when we get down to verse 10. But instead of being of Paul or Apollos or Cephas or I am of Christ, we say, well, I'm of Chuck or I'm of Greg and I'm of Mike and I'm of Rawl. You can begin to draw attention to the differences of people that you are instructed under and forget that there's a bigger picture to the whole thing. And all of a sudden, the body of Christ has been narrowed down to, well, you know, we're the real body of Christ. And when it gets to that place, it's not of God. And it doesn't glorify the Lord. It does not bring glory to God who saved us by grace. And so that is the beginning of this passage. Verse 5, he goes on to say, that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, 
even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end, that you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. For God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of, notice, not Calvary Chapel Running Springs. Doesn't say that. Not in the fellowship of Pentecostalism. Not into the fellowship of conservative Baptist denominations. Not in the fellowship of a particular denomination. But in the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. You, You see, when we start making distinctions that God doesn't make, and we start saying that this group or that group is the only group, we have missed the mark. Because what ultimately happens is that it becomes about the distinction and not about the distinctive. It becomes less about Jesus and more about a style of worship. It becomes less about the one who saved us by grace and more about the church in which you sit. That was the problem. Now, within that, there was an internal issue that also needed to be addressed. Because there is a purpose for the distinctions. And I draw your attention this way. When you look at the New Testament, you're going to find letters to various churches. Amen? You'll also notice that they don't all address the same thing. There were different issues in each one, all of them pertinent to most. But very specifically, churches exist in a specific place to minister to a specific group of people because those people are individuals. I I crack a Flatlander joke in South Bay, they think I'm nuts because they are Flatlanders. (laughs) I don't tell them that because it insults them, but they, you know, it... You see, there there are things that we as this church experience together in a commonality that are unique to us. There are things that we are experiencing. We're experiencing on the mountain. You guys realize that the unemployment rate on the mountain right now, this just came out a couple of weeks ago from San Bernardino County. The employment rate, unemployment rate on the mountain is 28%. It's near 30%. So do you think economic issues are a little bigger here than they are perhaps in a place like Orange County where it's only 8%? Yes. So there are reasons that this body exists that are unique. And God brings who He wills to a specific group of people that form a local body of of the church that are unified in that God's doing a specific thing in that group, and each one of those little pieces are part of something bigger. You can look at it this way. It's exactly like your body. Try doing without your kidneys. You need your kidneys, as well as your stomach and your heart and your brain and all those other major organs and systems. The church is like that. There are parts of the body of Christ that are like a heart, and there are parts like a kidney, and there are parts like a stomach, and there are parts like the largest organ in your body, which is actually your skin. You, you see, it takes all of them to make a functioning whole. None of them are unimportant, 
And each one of them needs to maintain its individual identity, otherwise it ceases being a kidney. There are churches that are very missions-oriented. There are churches that are very evangelism-oriented. There are churches that emphasize a work of the Spirit, and there are churches that emphasize the teaching of God's Word. There are churches that minister to conservative people and to liberal people. There are churches of every shape, size, and flavor, and they are all, as they teach the Word of God in wholeness and in fullness, a necessary part of the larger body. We need to remember that. When we forget that, we start thinking that we're it. And we're not it. He's it. Amen? They were overlooking that. They weren't seeing it. Verse 4, for I give thanks to my God always. Always. How often do you celebrate, in essence, Thanksgiving? I was looking at this verse. How often do you celebrate? You know, we celebrate Thanksgiving once a year. Amen? And all of a sudden we get really thankful for all kinds of things. You realize that you should really have Thanksgiving in your heart every day. Every day. There are always things to be thankful for. Do we have problems? Sure. But there are always things to be thankful for. I I was sitting there, I don't know how many of you have started your taxes, but I was doing my taxes. And I want to tell you a little, just a a brief story about, about thankfulness. You see, sometimes when you're paying the bills for your children, you're not very thankful until you get the education credit. (laughs) Got that last year. This year I found out, no, my son made too much money himself, so I can't take that. I'm like, ah. You see, the little component parts, it's like our lives as the church. There are times when we have this, and there are times when we don't. And there are times that this is important, and there are times that this is important. And it takes all of us functioning, and we should be thankful for those component parts. And one day, maybe you're thankful for one person or one group or one part of the ministry, and another day you're thankful for another part. But you can find a way to be thankful every day. Every day. I've had this thing that just the Lord's been doing in my life. Personally. I have never been so thankful for people than I am right now. It's just like, Lord, I, I, how did you bless me with all these people? These wonderful component parts of what the Lord is doing. And I look around, it's like, Lord, thank you. Thank you for those gifts. Friday, I was, I was so excited because I got to come out of my, my cubicle at the camp. And I got in a backhoe, and I was scraping ice. You know, it's, it's a weird thing. It's a guy thing. Okay, we, we dominate the ice, and we scrape it up and move it somewhere else. And as I was doing that, I was like, I'm really thankful. I don't have to do this every day. I just get to do it when I want to. And all of a sudden, I thank you for Greg and Jason and Seth. When he's, you know, we, we, we get thankful for other people. Because you know what? I'm the beneficiary of God's gifts being used in other people. I, I don't do everything. Are you thankful? Verse 5, he goes on to say, For in him you've been enriched in every way. Would you re- look at that verse very carefully? Enriched in every way. 
Now, at first glance, it almost seems like it's not true. Amen? Been enriched in every way. But let me tell you what it actually says. It says that sufficient are the things of this life and on this earth that you should not feel like you're not rich. There's enough to go around. The question is, will you see it? You've been enriched in every way. There are things there. Now, does, does that mean that we won't have problems or difficulties or go through trials or tribulations? Of course not. But the flip side is you have been enriched. The gifts are there. But sometimes we don't like who got the gift. Amen? Why, and they got that gift. I don't know why they got that gift, because I didn't get that gift. And so we actually start hating the gifts. Well, that person, you know, I don't want to have to, you know, hear that from me, or, you know, I don't want them to do that. The gifts are there. The question is, are we going to allow God to use those gifts that he has dispersed in the body for the intention with which he gave them? The gifts are there, and we should use them. The other side of this is is that if you have gifts, are you lovingly using them, or are they a bargaining chip? Ouch. You know, I know a lot of people who are actually gifted, but they withhold those gifts, and they use them in essence like a tool. It's like I have the gift, but I'm not going to use it. I'll sell it to you. I had a guy one time, he goes, you know, you're giving up a lot of income. I said, really? You know, I'm always interested. I mean, I can always use an extra couple of dollars. He said, yeah, I notice you guys give CDs away at the church. You realize that most churches sell those? I said, yep, they do. I said, but that's not what God's told us to do. He said, freely given, freely received, give it away. And he goes, well, you know, uh, you know, I could help you with that. <laughs> no, you want to use the gift. It's not yours to use. It's God's gift to use. He just simply wants you to do it. Sometimes we take those gifts and it's like it's almost like a marketing tool. You know, I'm going to build up my own little empire. We're part of a bigger thing called the body of Christ. And the Lord owns it all. It's all his. We need to be doing what he tells us to do. Sometimes people won't like it. Sometimes they'll disagree. But we do what God wants us to do. If we use those gifts, and notice the couple of alls here. It says that the word all is used before all your speaking and all your knowledge. In other words, all the things that you know and all the things that you say really come from God. So what are you doing with them? Are you bringing him glory? Are you bringing him honor? You, you see, as our lives are changed, we bring glory and honor to the Lord. That's why when somebody says, you know, that was a great message, I go, well, I just try not to mess up God's word. That's really my goal. I'm not trying to have false humility. I understand it's God's word. I'm just a messenger. But it's his message. Are you willing to let God use you? Because it's his knowledge. It's his wisdom. And let me tell you this. Your lips aren't moving unless he lets them move. He's the one that controls who you are, what you are, what you do, how you say it. 
Will you let him do that? Verse 7. And now you have every spiritual gift you need. The New Living Translation says of verse 7. As you eagerly wait for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because, notice he's writing to the church. The church is the body of Christ. He's not talking about a single individual. He's talking about what they have in common because of the church. Because not everybody has all the gifts themselves, but all the gifts are there in the body. Now you have every spiritual gift you need as you eagerly wait for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all there. We're supposed to be using those things for his glory. That's why when somebody says, well, you know, I don't have any spiritual giftedness. Yeah, you do. You certainly do. The question is, are you going to use those things? And it's interesting because the the phrase or the two words translated spiritual gift here is actually a single Greek word. It's a Greek word, charisma. It's used three different ways in the, in the New Testament. One is for salvation. You'll see that in Romans chapter 5. The other way is in a general sense, giftedness is related directly to the fruit of lives that are lived for Christ. In other words, in a very general sense, that's the person who has the gift of helps. It's also the person who has a great mind. It is the person who can rebuild cars. It's the person who can you know, clean pine needles like nobody's business, the person who can paint, the person who can teach Sunday school. It is the gifts in a general sense. And the other way is spiritual giftedness, as in maybe the gift of teaching or preaching or something else. In this particular context, it's used in the middle verse. It is used to mean that distributed in the body at the church at Corinth was absolutely everything necessary to fulfill the function of the body of Christ and to bring glory to the Lord. So how does that make you feel about being a part of the body of Christ? You should be excited. It means you individually have purpose. The distributed in the church are all of the things necessary. Notice the word needed. They're needed for the body of Christ. Not everyone is a prayer warrior. Not everyone is a pastor. Not everyone is a teacher. Not everyone can stand being around children for five minutes, much less 50. Not everyone has the gift of hospitality. Not everyone can make a wicked cup of coffee, okay? It's just, some of you, I've drunk some, it's not good. In Jesus' name, give it to someone else. In a general sense, there are gifts distributed in the body that are sufficient to meet the needs of the body. So when you don't do what God's called you to do, you're depriving the body of Christ. And if you try and do something you're not called to do, you mess up the body of Christ. You're just called to be you. You're not called to be me. I'm not called to be Pastor Chuck. I'm called to be Jeff. I just want to be who God's called Jeff to be, as as good as Jeff can be. I don't need to fashion myself into something else. God knows exactly for what purpose He's created me. He wants me to be that. The gift of worship having a voice that brings glory to the Lord. I mean, you could go on and on and on of the things that God wants to do that He brought you specifically here to this church to use those gifts. Use them. 
Christ-like character should bring about Christ-like living. And when we bring that joy and that peace and that, that work of the Spirit into those things that God's gifted us in, then those things as a whole are much greater than the individual things that we could accomplish. See, by myself, I can accomplish a certain amount of things. And so can each of you. Amen? You have gifts and talents and skills. But how much more do you think we accomplish together as the body of Christ, as long as we're bringing glory and honor to the Lord and not drawing attention to ourselves, but to the king and kingdom? Amen? When we do that, we actually accomplish greater purposes. The food ministry. How many times do you think that's going to happen if two people have to do it? Uh, exactly once. And then they're going to go, this is impossible. It can't happen. And because we don't have the rest of those hands, those hands are necessary hands. The hearts are necessary hearts. Family of God, how, much, how many missionaries do you think this church would have if we did not give to this ministry? The answer is not very many. You support pastors all over the world because many make a whole. How many outreaches to the community do you think we're going to do? If you've been here for the Lighter World Festival, there's usually 70 or 80 of us helping. Can't be done with one or two. And so every person, the person that hands out the hot dog as is, is as important as the person who put the schedule together. Because you can have a great schedule and no hot dog. <laughs> and trust me, nobody's coming if there's no free food. And somebody's got to hand it out. I'm trying to help you understand that you don't have to be a pastor or a teacher to have a place in the body of Christ. Those things that, that you can do are just as important as the things that I do. My gift is different. And I'm thankful God gave me the gifts I have. But my gift does not make this church. The Lord made this church. This church is not about Jeff. It's about Jesus. Evidenced last Sunday when Dave filled the pulpit. Amen? You realize we have probably a dozen guys that can do that? They've been trained up, raised up. I drop over dead. You guys aren't even going to know I'm gone. They'll just put on a Jeff mask and right on go. And really it should be that way. Ministry isn't built on a single person save the person of Jesus Christ. You see, we're doing that until the Lord comes gets us. Notice the emphasis here, until the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's what we're doing, folks. We're occupying until he comes for his church. Amen? We're just busy about our Father's business until he comes and gets us. Now he may take a few of us one at a time. We were talking about it this morning. Uh, it, you know, it, in the back, we're, we were talking about you know people that are just. And, and again, I'm not against anyone. I'm just saying, you know, just because you eat healthy doesn't mean you're going to live long. Just because you eat bad doesn't mean you're going to live short. You know, matter of fact, the, the healthiest people I know are people that eat lots of bacon. 
with gravy over the top of it. Imagine going into the restaurant and going, can I have the light gravy, please? What is light gravy? I digress. But the point of all of it is, God's got an appointed time for each of us. We saw that in the book of Hebrews just recently. There in chapter 9. It says it's appointed unto us one time to die and then judgment. God knows when that time is. And in the intervening years, however many of them there are, some of us, you know, from our perspective, too soon. Some of us, from our perspective, you've been here way too long. I've had people say that to me. You've been here too long. Thanks for that gift of encouragement. But all of our life is to be comprised of seeing the Lord's kingdom come and His will be done. That's why we're here. And we can only do that when we bring glory to Him. We bring honor to Him. When people look at the church and go, that's about Jesus. Because if it's just about Jeff, they're going to miss Jesus. If it's just about Calvary Chapel, they could well miss Jesus. If it's about contemporary worship, they might miss Jesus. If it's about a building or not, might miss Jesus. The church is to bring glory to the Lord until He comes. And it says, For He will keep you strong to the end, so that you will be blameless on that day of the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, do I want that for us. Oh, Lord, help us to not bring you shame. The word blamelessness there, really the opposite of it would be shame. Lord, help us to not bring you shame. Help us to be blameless. Help us to not bring you shame, God. Pray that when people see us as individuals, see us as a church, see the church as a whole on this earth, what a travesty it is that the church airs out its, its garbage before the world and the Lord gets the shame because of it. How many people, maybe you yourself, have actually said or even think maybe this morning, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want to be one. Because of the church. Because of Christians. Not because of Jesus, not because of grace, because of what the church is doing. Oh, God, help us to not be like that. Help us to not bring shame to the Lord. Help us to be blameless when He gets here. That's what I want. Now for all of us, praise God for grace. Amen? Because we're a work in progress. And that it can't always be said about us. You know, sometimes we just blow it. Uh, praise God there's forgiveness for, for that sin. Praise God there's cleansing for those, those mess-ups. But the goal should be for us to be blameless at the end when He comes for us. And that means that we live our lives in continual striving for holiness. Did you hear what I said? Because some people don't like that aspect of being a Christian. And we're going to get to it here in this book. The life of a believer should be a continual increase in godliness. Amen? That's what's supposed to be happening. And when you can say about an individual or you can say about a church that the vision you get from that person or that church is not so much Christ, but it's man, then I would question whether they're fulfilling their calling or not. We should be more like Jesus, not more like the world. 
not more like the dumb things that go on apart from Christ, but more like Christ himself. You see, a lot of what we see in our world has nothing to do with Jesus. You don't believe that, just click on the TV and keep the remote in your hand. Oh, can't watch that, can't watch that, can't watch that. Discovery Channel, can't watch that. Science Channel, can't watch that. There's a lot of influence against the things of the Lord. We want to be blameless when He comes for us. Why? Because we want to bring Him glory. Notice what verse 9 says. For God is faithful. (laughs) Praise the Lord for what Paul wrote to Timothy. For even if we are faithless, God is faithful. The same idea here. God's faithful. He's given all the gifts necessary. He's done what's necessary in Christ Jesus. He's given us grace. Think about it. He's given us salvation by grace. What are we doing with it? It's really not that hard to say yes to Jesus. Amen? And what do you get for it? Eternal life. A change of heart and mind and ownership. All he's saying is, I've given you that, would you give me you? Whatever that is. Whatever it is. All those little idiosyncrasies and quirks. You realize God can use those? I've got some goofy friends. And they probably think I'm a goofy friend at times. We all have our little quirks and idiosyncrasies. Praise God for grace that He uses the quirks and the idiosyncrasies and the the silly differences that we have. So it makes the body of Christ beautiful to some degree that He can use us. Otherwise, what God would likely do is every time somebody gets saved, they just disappear. It's like, he's out of here. She's out of here. Taking them home. But instead, he chooses to use, use us. For God is faithful. And by him you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. God is faithful. And you've been called into fellowship by him. This is a fellowship of believers in Jesus Christ. Amen? That's what the church is. That fellowship is defined by a unique group of people called and established to a unique place and a unique ministry. Again, otherwise there would be no reason for different churches. They were all supposed to look the same and act the same and do the same thing and have the same building. We'd be Mormons. Because they do. You ever notice that? Drive, you, want a, you want an interesting thing sometime? Drive through St. George, Utah. There's like 45 of exactly the same buildings in St. George, Utah. It's like the, the same guy built every last one of them. And I'm not trying to pick on Mormons right now. But I'm saying that's what happens when you stop losing contact with Jesus Christ as Lord. And it becomes about religion. It becomes about what we look like. It becomes about a set of rules and lines and regulations, and there's no place for diversity in the body anymore. I've actually had people, well, you know, I mean, your church is in an old bar. Well, number one, it's not my church. It's the Lord's church. Number two, I think if you look in the New Testament, you're going to find that they had church on beaches. I like that idea. 
They had churches in cult leaders' homes. They had church everywhere. Because the church isn't about a building. The church is about people. It's about believers called together to minister to and through one another. Verse 10, And now I plead with you, brethren, and by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he begins now to address this first issue that we find in this church, that you speak all the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. For it's been declared to me concerning you, that my brethren, that those of the house of Chloe, that there are some contentions among you. And so he now begins to get to the heart of the matter, lays out, hey, you should be one in Christ. There shouldn't be a reason for division because of who you are in Christ. And now he goes on to say, yep, but there is. There's a problem. And now I say this to each of you who says, I am of Paul, I am of Apollos, I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Some people often misinterpret that phrase, I am of Christ. Trust me, you can get spiritually lifted up with pride so that you think your understanding of Christ is the only understanding of Christ. And if you don't believe that, you haven't bumped into too many folks from around other denominations at times. Though we are not one, I can tell you this. There are people that believe you're not saved because you're sitting here this morning. I I have confronted groups of hyper-Calvinists at Harvest Crusades who are shouting down Greg Laurie because they believe that no one ever gets saved there because they're not immediately baptized and because there's no fruit of the Spirit that they're not actually saved. I can tell you that even people, maybe well-meaning people, believe that their version of Jesus is the only version of Jesus. And so there's a clear, distinctive line drawn. I want to also draw your attention to, he's speaking to a group of people in a church. And inside of that group of people in that church, there were divisions about who was the better teacher. It had become a beauty contest. Well, I'm a Paul. Well, you know, Apollos is much more tender. Paul's kind of harsh. And Cephas, he's just a doofus. I mean, the guy's a fisherman. Come on now. And then there's the real spiritual ones who own, they're the Jesus only crowd. You see, the church was divided. The church was sitting around. They were worried more about the messenger than the message. As long as the messenger was good, praise the Lord, must be true. I have heard some of the most beautiful oratories from people whom I do not believe are actually saved. Judging from the fruit of their life, I would say that person doesn't even know Jesus. But they draw massive crowds. There's all kinds of things that go on in those services. I watched a television program about a movement that's in Korea. 
not uncommon for them to fill entire stadiums with people. And the most heretical teaching I have perhaps ever heard. To all health, wealth, prosperity, God wants you to be absolutely rich, and if you're not, it's because there's sin in your life. And I mean just laying the heavy burden on people. But tens of thousands came out to hear it. One of the reasons that there should be a distinctive reason for a church to exist is that that pastor has been given charge over the flock of God. And that pastor is responsible for bringing the whole counsel of God's word. It's one of the reasons that I encourage you to not miss church, because we teach systematically through the Bible here. And here's what happens if you don't come to every service. Not to hear me, to hear the word of God. You join us in our study in Romans, and you get half of Romans chapter 8, and you don't get the rest of Romans chapter 8, and you don't get chapter 9, then all of a sudden you think, well, hey, I can do whatever I want. Grace, man. Doesn't change your life. You see, a church is unique in that God should be speaking to the people who are in leadership. And they, there is a message for that group of people. That's why you're here this morning, prayerfully to hear the message that the Lord has to bring. We're going to give the whole message. Give you a little hint. You're not going to get it all today. It's going to happen over a very long period of time. Because we're going to study God's Word cover to cover. Genesis to Revelation. And we're going to study entire books of the Bible all at once. It's going to take us a while to do that. So there's a reason to be involved in this church. Because you come today, and then you go to another church next week, and you go to another church after that, and then you say, well, you know, I'm going to skip a couple of weeks, and then, oh, you know, I only like going at night, so I'm going to go to this church because they have a night service. You see, there's a reason for the distinctiveness of each body as well. We should all be working together for the common goal of the kingdom. But there's a reason we exist. And so he says, Is Christ divided? He gives several rhetorical questions. The answer is, of course not. Was Paul crucified for you? The answer is, of course not. Were you baptized in the name of the Paul? The answer is, of course not. And he goes on to talk about baptism briefly and uses it by way of example. For I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. For those that have a bent to say that baptism is necessary for salvation, I always draw them to this verse. Paul de-emphasized baptism. He said, I thank God that I didn't baptize any of you but Crispus and Gaius, lest you be looking at Paul's baptism being better than somebody else's baptism. Baptism is not essential for salvation. Thief on the cross never got baptized, but he did go to see Jesus in paradise. Sometimes people, well, you know, they have a baptistry, and so they get baptized right after they get saved. I went to a church like that. Praise God for those churches. But that doesn't save you. Jesus Christ's blood shed on Calvary's cross saves you. That's it. It's not what you do afterwards. It's what he did beforehand that counts. You're just receiving it and believing it. But they were arguing over these things. 
Having said that, should you be baptized? Absolutely. Jesus was baptized. Should you partake of communion? Absolutely. Jesus partook of communion. Those are two things he did, so we should do them. But how many churches are divided over whether you get baptized within five minutes of getting saved? How many churches teach that you can't be saved unless you're baptized? There's a bunch of them. How many people believe they're saved because they got baptized as an infant? Also not found in Scripture. You see, there is absolutely reason for the distinctives of each church to exist. This particular church is way spun. They got like their little, well, you know, Paul's teaching this weekend, so I'm not going to that one, because he's going to confront my sin. I only go when Cephas teaches, because he lets me off the hook. I sure like Apollos because he's a Greek and he's smart. All three of those reasons are a good reason for you to not be here with me. You see what I'm saying? How quickly we can turn the body of Christ into a beauty contest. Oh, I like him. Don't like him. Don't like her. And every time she teaches a women's study, I get convicted. Yeah. That's part of the deal. You need conviction just as much as you need comfort. Amen? Supposed to get the whole deal? You won't get the whole deal if you're church hopping. What's going to happen is Satan's going to go, I think you should probably skip this one, and you should go over to this one. This is why I always encourage people, get plugged in someplace and make that your principal source of worship. You go someplace else as a, as a dessert, if you will, wonderful. But get plugged in someplace where you have accountability to where you can get the whole counsel of God's word and don't only come when Cephas is preaching. Amen? Lest anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanas, and besides that, I don't know if there are any others that I baptized. For Christ did not send me, notice this, to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He says, you know what? My goal is just to bring people to Jesus. If they get baptized, that's really good. But if we make it about baptism, they might miss Jesus. If they make it about Paul, might miss Jesus. Make it about Cephas or Apollos, they might miss Jesus. We need to remember that real, realistically, there is a singular message that's taught throughout Scripture. But you need to get that in a consistent way. That's why when people talk, well, yeah, I read my Bible and I ask them how, I do this, so... When, when I ask you the question, do you read your Bible, and you say yes, I'm gonna, the next question is going to be, well, how do you do that? Well, you know, I, I pick it up, and I play Bible roulette. And go out immediately and kill yourself. This can say anything if you take it out of context. This can tell you anything if you don't read it with consistency. That's why I believe that it is not a great idea to be fed topical teachings consistently. It's why I'm a Calvary pastor. Because I can tell you what happens when you give me the ability to teach topically. I pick topics I like. (laughs) 
I pick topics that don't offend anyone. I make you feel good. But you know what? Sometimes you need conviction. So do I. I'm thankful for the times when I pick up my Bible and I start reading multiple chapters. I'm like, oh, Lord, did you have to show me that today? And his answer is from heaven, uh-huh. Yes. You see, by the work of the Spirit, God does that. That's very hard for the Lord to have that input in your life if you're not committed somewhere. It's very hard. It's not impossible because God's God, but it's very hard. And so he's saying, if you're a Apollos guy, go stay with Apollos. If you're a Paul guy, go where Paul's preaching. If you're a Cephas guy, stay under Cephas' preaching and make sure you get the whole message, not just the ones that you like to hear. But don't bring all that into you. Well, you know, Paul said this, but Cephas said this, and Apollo said that, and Jesus said this. Because then you start to tear up the body of Christ. And all of a sudden the body of Christ gets confused. People often ask, what do you have to do to be a pastor here? We actually have a process to be a pastor in this church. And the reason we have a process is we don't want anybody divided. I need to know where you stand on eschatology. I need to know where you stand on soteriology, the doctrine of salvation. I need to know what you believe about the Trinity because I don't want to appoint somebody and anoint somebody and lay hands on somebody and ordain a pastor that believes that there's no such thing as the rapture of the church. Because I'm going to teach on the rapture, and then they're going to have their little group of people. Well, I don't think the rapture is going to happen. And before you know it, the church is divided. So there is a place for uniqueness, just as much as there is for a place for that diversity and unity combined. I appeal to you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. Stop arguing among yourselves is what it says. Quit it. That's why, that's why I believe there's a danger, in essence, in false unity. Sometimes there's false unity. You know, I just don't have any beliefs. I don't hold anything dear. I'll just get along with everybody. That's not what's being said here. Make sure that you're hearing from the Lord. And that was not him. I was trying to try to think of something. It's okay. Some of these believers were hung up on Paul and some of them on Peter. Some of them on Apollos. Finally, there was a group that claimed they were the ones that were really following Christ. The bottom line is you can tell by the fruit. When you have division, you know you don't have the Lord. When you have a bunch of people that are at odds with one another constantly, you know that's not the fragrance of Christ. It's real easy to spot. So it's easy to tell in the diversity, you know, this church looks different, but it's still got the fragrance of Christ. And this church looks different, but it still has the fragrance of Christ. This church, you know, they're a little more liturgical, but they still have the fragrance of Christ. At the end of the day, 
you will know that these people are my disciples if they have love one for another. And the world will know that. But the world won't know that if there's division. The world won't know that if there's strife. The world won't know that if we're just sitting around bumping heads theologically. The world won't get the picture of love. The world will just get the picture that we're divided. And that was the point that Paul was making here. For Christ didn't send me to baptize. And I, I believe the purpose that this, this stands in Scripture is this. You don't want to get hung up on anything but Jesus. You don't want to make anything essential but to know Jesus Christ personally as your Lord and Savior. That is central to the whole church. You know that? Let me give you, let me give you an example. I want to close. There are people that believe absolutely, without a doubt, that God uses evolution. There are people that believe that, and they love Jesus. They're going to heaven. They're not going to be excluded from heaven because they happen to believe that the universe is 13.7 billion years old. They are not going to hell because of that. There are people that believe that there's no such thing as the rapture of the church. We will all get there at the same time. They'll just be going, how did I get here? I was waiting for the second coming. I don't understand why I'm here already. There are all kinds of things that I would point to you as this. They are not essential to salvation. Whether you've been dunked or sprinkled, not going to matter when you get to heaven, okay? If you've never been baptized, it's not going to keep you out of heaven. If you've never taken communion one time in your entire existence on this earth, you can still go to heaven. But there's one thing that you cannot have any disagreement on, and that's Jesus Christ as Lord. If Jesus Christ is not your personal Lord and your Savior, if you've not believed on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, which implies you believe He came as a sinless Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world, that He lived a sinless life while He was here, that that sinless life was forfeited on Calvary's cross, that he literally died. He laid in the grave for three days. He was then raised from the dead, and he ascended unto God the Father. You have to believe that. If you don't believe that, you are not saved. Period. That's what Scripture says, not what Jeff says. But the rest of the stuff, we're going to all get our theology squared away when we get to heaven. I always tell people that. It's like, you know, I don't know. I don't know two Baptists who agree on theology. I don't know two Episcopalians. I really don't. I'm being serious. I don't know two Calvary guys. They read the same passage and they get exactly the same little subtle nuances out of it. And that's wonderful. Why? Because I can minister to you. You're here. You're from Running Springs. We have a lot of things in common. God sent me to minister to you, to this group. I go down and minister on a college campus they're like, he is just not cool at all. God uses that diversity. Make sure that the important thing remains the important thing. Amen? Otherwise, you're going to divide the body of Christ. We can agree on those essentials of salvation and faith. The rest of it, let the differences be the differences. And if that's you, then be there. 
If that's here, be here. But wherever you are, glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning in your word. And again, we are so blessed to be a part of the body. And Lord, play our own little parts. And Lord, we recognize that you've given us all of the gifts necessary for us to live fullness in you. And we would pray, God, that as we exercise those gifts, that you would be well pleased. Uh, Help us to be the part of the body of Christ that you've called us to be. Lord, help us to be part of the greater body of Christ that you've called us to be. Help us to never be a source of division. Lord, help us to pray earnestly for all of those who love your name. Lord, we thank you for the other churches in this community. Lord, we thank you for Springs of Life. We thank you for the assemblies. We thank you for Rim Community, God, for the work that you're doing in those places. Bless those pastors that oversee those flocks. Bless those bodies. Provide richly for them. We're grateful, God, for your goodness. We're thankful for your presence in our midst, and we pray that you would just continue to use us, Lord, until you come get us. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? Let's worship our King before we get out of here.